Good morning. My name's Adam, one of the pastors here at the church. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, if you were here at the start of the service, you saw Chris back on stage. He and his wife were in Israel for the last two, a little over two weeks. Uh, so it's good to have him back. And I want to give you a little, just, he was not in his service now, he was here first service. But um, next week, the, the price, um, the reward of him being gone for two weeks, I'll put it this way, is he gets to come back next week and talk about sex. Uh, in this service. So there you go. Welcome back, Chris. Uh, in all seriousness, I do throw that out because we're in a series uh, from this day forward about marriage, uh, talking about five commitments that we believe uh, that if you make, your marriage is far more likely to succeed and be healthy and be what it is that you want it to be. I believe most of us want a healthy marriage. I don't think any of us walk down the aisle saying, I hope I really make it just 10 years. That's all I'm shooting for. Uh, so again, I will give a plug though. Next week we are, uh, for those of you who may have small children, generally it's in the first service where the, where the younger kids are. Are. Um, but again, so next week, just want to kind of give that. It will be a PG, PG-13, somewhere in that ballpark rating uh, next week. So some of you are going, yes, I'll be back here. <laughs> so that said, uh, here's, where we're, here's uh, kind of where we're at. Five commitments. Let's kind of recap these, and we're going to dive into this morning. Last week, we talked about, hey, listen, if you're going to do a marriage and do it well, let's start by seeking God. So we talked about worshiping your number one with your number two. So worshiping God. God is your creator. He's the one that gives you life. You, your spouse doesn't complete you. God does. Uh, so worship worship your number one with your number two. If you're single, seek your number one as you prepare for your number two. Uh, this week, we're talking about a fighting fair. We're going to kick this one around. I got the boxing gloves up there because we're going to talk about how to argue, how to discuss, how to uh, kind of get into all that good stuff. Um, next week, again, is have fun. Um, so we're going to kick that around. It's not just sex. It's, it's just in general, um, how to, is in a marriage and what, what role does fun play and, and uh, kind of connection in that way. Then the following week is going to be stay pure. Uh, again, we're going to kick around the purity and how important that is. And then the final week, we're going to end with a big push, uh, just final commitment to say, hey, we're in this thing for the long haul. Uh, let's not give up. Now, to get us going this morning, I love commercials. I don't know. Uh, do any of you guys like commercials? I love commercials. That's one of my favorite parts about watching football, honestly. I love football, uh, but I love sitting down. So I probably watch more TV this time of year than any other time of the year. Uh, so I'm catching a lot of commercials. Caught a good one a few weeks ago as I'm I don't know, watching some football, and I think it sets the stage for this morning really well. So go ahead and catch this commercial. <laughs> do you have to do that in my ears? Again, if you're a couple, you fight over directions, right? I mean, that's kind of the, that's a long-standing uh, joke between men and women, uh, husbands and wives over the years. I'm not sure it's one Tanya and I've always had, but let's, let me start with this. We're, uh, Tanya and I have had a lot of fights over the years. Uh, and I want to say this. I think all couples do. And we're going to talk about it's not a matter of if you fight, but how you fight. As we're going to talk about this morning. So we're going to learn how to fight fair. And when I say fights, immediately many of us think of those, those yelling, screaming, arguing, back and forth, uh, maybe even sometimes get physical, unfortunately. But we're not, again, when I say fight, I think we want to broaden the definition to just mean there's something that you want, something that you think you have, and your spouse is blocking you from getting it. And sometimes fighting shifts silence. Some people are passive-aggressive, if you've heard that term, where, where they pull back and they go quiet. Some, so, so when you hear fight, just think, they're blocking me from what it is that I want. Tanya and I, again, again, I'm here up here on stage as we're going through this. She's going to be up here with me towards the end. Um, we're on a journey, uh, our marriage. We've learned a lot about this. As we're going through this this morning, the heart is to be very practical. Uh, and we're going through some of the practical stuff I'm sharing as we're getting ready for her, we thought, man, this is good stuff. And we really, uh, so I'm up here in stage preaching, not at you, but at myself, and we're on a journey together. 
one of our fights, and we're trying to think of a couple we could share. There have been some good ones over the years. Um, trying to think of ones that would be appropriate and we could all, uh, we're, we're laughing at now, many years later. One came when um, we were newly married. Uh, we were, it was less than a month, actually. I got married, went up to a, a school. I was on dean staff at a school in upstate New York, and so they have us in this cute little cabin. It's a two-room cabin on this gorgeous lake. And she goes off to work, and I finished my day, and I got home early, and I'm thinking, you know what, I'm going to surprise her. I'm going to decorate. I'm going to get all her stuff out. I'm just going to get it all out of the box. I'm going to hang up all the pictures and hang up all the bookshelves. And some of you are smiling because you're thinking, oh, my goodness. Some of you are smiling because you know my wife, and you know how good she is at decorating. And so here I am stepping in like, this is my thing. I can do this. Uh, so she gets home. Now, she was very gracious. Uh, she kind of rolled with it. Um, she did point out a few rookie mistakes about hanging things too high and not getting low enough. But she said, hey, listen, after we, she rolled with it, she left it all go. And she said, let's just not do that again. Okay, cool. I get that. Let's not do it again. She goes, I want to be involved. Just, just don't decorate alone. I kind of heard that. Don't decorate alone. So we go about a year, year and a half later, we moved to Lidditz, Pennsylvania to um, this little apartment. And so now we've got four rooms instead of two rooms. So I thought, well, she's going to need help, right? And she said not to do it alone, so I'll get help this time. So I had my 14-year-old sister help me. I didn't do it alone. I had help, right? So again, I even think that we were talking about this last night. I even think Tanya was home throughout this, and she's sitting there like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so again, we had a little more serious conversation following that one, but I've since, I've since learned that, hey, this is kind of her area. I step back, the house is hers. I do get a little frustrated on that. When I do get home, and you know, husbands, you ever been here? You're at work all day, and you get home, and the couch, I mean, why do we need to change the couch one more time after, I mean, didn't we just change this three months ago? I mean, what are we, so anyway, uh, deck green is one of those things that we've gone back and forth. She's very gifted at. I've learned to just take my hands out of it and let it be hers. So we all fight. We all have those things. Some of you maybe even fought this morning on the way to church. Um, Tiny's going to share one of them later when she's on stage, actually. But here's the deal. Turn me go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Just two simple verses. If you don't have a Bible, you're going to find uh, that in 1020. Page 1020 in the Bible's there in front of you. Um, also say, if you have your known journal, uh, you are on page uh, 24 there. And a place to take some notes and have a reading, some scriptures to read throughout the week to kind of take us deeper. James chapter 1. Now, this is not a marriage passage, just like last week. Again, so we're going to apply it to marriage. And I think it applies really well to marriage. But if you're not married or you're preparing for marriage or maybe you're in the backside and you've been married, you're no longer married, there's still a lot here that you can apply just with your coworkers, your friends at school, your teachers, your mom, your dad, and on. So we're going to talk through the lens of marriage, but I think it's, it's pretty rich. And here's the goal this morning. This is a simple passage. So our heart this morning is to take this simple passage and help it be very practical. Now, in that, there's going to be a lot of practical stuff shared this morning. Here's my, here's my counsel, as a, just thing I'd say as a pastor. If you want to do this well, pick one or two things out. There's going to be a lot shared this morning. I think you get overwhelmed thinking, oh, my goodness, I've got to work on like ten things. Just pick one and go at that one. And I think as you do that one and then, then spill some Well, Here we go. Verse 19 starts out this way. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Okay, right there. I mean, that's a loaded verse. Simple verse, clear verse. There's not a lot of, hmm, what does James mean by that? I mean, it's a very clear verse. Verse 20 then. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. And then verse 21, which we'll talk about towards the end. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. Now, 
If you're here week in and week out, you know I don't always do a three-point outline. I seldom do a three-point outline. This morning, this passage sets us up beautifully for the three-point outline. So we're just going to kind of work through verse 19. So first one is quick to listen. The way we're going to say it is stop to listen carefully. In your marriage, in your relationship, stop to listen carefully. Let's kick us around. Another verse you could throw up. Proverbs is filled with this. Uh, Proverbs 18.2, for example. Fools, so again, if you want to be a fool, fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. Stop to listen carefully. Or the way James says it, quick to listen. As you think about this, um, Norman Wright, he's a, a marriage family counselor from, I think he first wrote this book back in the late 70s. He wrote it as Sunday school curriculum. He's turned, since it's been republished and reproduced multiple times, uh, still a top seller, because uh, he's got a lot of practical stuff in it, but it's, his, it's from the book Communication Key to Your Marriage. Here's what he says. Far too many couples only hear one another, few actually listen. Think about that. You say, what's the difference? Isn't hearing and listening the same thing? Well, he unpacks it this way. He says, when you're hearing, when you're hearing someone, so if you're talking to me and I'm hearing you, I'm gaining content for myself. Um, If you come to talk to me about something about the church, I'll listen or I'll hear because I'm hearing through the context of the leader of the church and figure out what we need to do. I'm hearing for myself. That's hearing. So I'm hearing, but am I really listening? Listening then is listening instead of paying attention to what's just happening inside of me and why I need the context, hearing is listening to you. Hearing is saying, okay, how does this impact them? How are they feeling? What's happening in their inner world? What is it that they're processing? And so, so hearing steps towards for their sake, not just my sake. Norman Reich goes on to talk about, really, when you look at um, couples and the way they communicate, couples that do it well understand that, that being right is not the highest value. Yes, your marriage has to be built in truth. If it's not built in truth, you're going to struggle deeply. But ultimately, couples who fight fair, who do it well, um, being right being, is, is not the high. They want to be successful. They want to get to the end of their, their conversation and be closer together, not further apart. And so what they do, here, here's, they work at understanding and accepting. Now, some of you say, well, yeah, right, Adam. Um, they're off base, though. They are wrong. Let's see, but again, that's right away where many of us start. They're wrong. Norman Wright says it this way, acceptance doesn't mean that you agree with the content of what your spouse says. So when you accept someone, when you say, okay, I get that's how you feel, it doesn't mean you agree with them. It means that you acknowledge and understand that what your spouse is saying is something he or she is actually feeling. So just step and say, okay, I get this is where you're at. Now, the other thing to keep in mind, as another thing I've learned over the years, is the speaker, when you're talking to someone, what you're paying attention to is you're, so I'm here talking to you. You know what I'm thinking about right now? What am I thinking about right now? Am I thinking about you? Now you'd say, oh, he's a really good pastor. He is. He's trying to see are we connecting. And I try to. You know what I'm really thinking about as a speaker is what's inside of my head, the content that's coming off of my tongues. I'm not paying attention to my body language. Speakers, as you're communicating in the context of relationship, you're not paying attention. You're not keen in on facial expression, body language, tone. You're paying attention to content. You're keyed in on the content of talking. That's why if you look at my notes, or you're going to see, if you come up and look at my notes today, I'll even show you if you want to see it. I have a little smiley face at a point. You know why I put that there? To remind myself to what? Smile. <laughs> when you're saying this, this is funny. Don't sit there all serious and... So again, the speaker is paying attention to his content. What is the listener keyed in on? You know what the listener's keyed in on? Body language, tone of voice, 
Are their eyes narrowing? Are their eyes open and bright? Is there, are their muscles in their face going tight? Are they checked out and blank? That's what the listener, the listener sometimes is completely missing the content because they're all keyed in and they're tripped up over your body language. So it's, it's an interesting thing how this works and how important it is just to stop and say, okay, I'm going to listen carefully. Give you one very, again, I want to be practical this morning. Uh, here's a practical thing. Our elder board has even done this. Uh, it's called active listening. And what they suggest you do is find an object, even. If you're brand new to it, get an object. I don't suggest a water bottle like this because it can be thrown and that can hurt. Uh, so maybe a stuffed animal, a feather, a, a, a piece of fabric. Uh, but the object is when you have it in your hands, you're going to be an active listener. So that when you have the object, you're the communicator. You're the talker. You're talking. The listener, the, your spouse, cannot speak until they get this, the object. You say, well, how do you get that? Well, you feed back. You, ex- you, you listen to them. You say, okay, I hear you saying. And then when they say back, yes, that's a, when, when the, I'm the speaker, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. You got it. You got the weight of what I'm communicating. Great. Now it's yours. Now you communicate. Now I don't get it back until I am actively feeding back to you what it is that you said. Now, ultimately, when you get good at it, you don't need the object anymore. And it's just this give and take in relationship where you're constantly actively listening, feeding back, and expressing, I hear you. I get it. I'm listening. I know where you're at. I know what you're feeling. I, I acknowledge your, your perspective. So again, that's listen carefully. Now, the passage goes on. The second point. So quick to listen. What's the next thing it says? We don't just listen, right? If I just sit and you, you guys talk and I just listen all day long, and you talk and talk and talk, and I just walk away then, how do you feel? Not very valued, right? You're like, oh. So again, there is speaking. So now, so quick to listen and then slow to speak uh, is the thing. So the way we'd say it is guard your words uh, faithfully. Proverbs 21. Again, Proverbs is loaded with this stuff. Proverbs has a really funny verse. I, I, I chuckle when I, when I read this. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. There's one for your kids. You guys have got teenagers at home or small kids. There it is right there. Have them memorize that. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. I mean, isn't that the truth? How many times have we gotten ourselves in trouble because we just said the wrong thing at the wrong time, right? Or maybe just the wrong thing, period. Now, great video I want to play for you. Capture this video. Um, this video, I think, is, is so fun. It's, it's a good one. So go ahead and uh, capture this. Is just kind of watch someone struggle with their words. I messed up. So I told her, you got a mirror, you can see what you look like in those jeans. So anyway, I don't know what to do. You just talk to her. And tell her what? You tell her how you feel. I did. I told her, I feel like you look like your mother. Okay, no, you, you need to use your words. You know, romantic words. Oh. Wait, what? Okay, um, honey, uh, you, you take your wife by her hands and you just pour into her. Wait, 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 wait. Am I holding her hands or am I pouring something? I, I can't do both. What? No. Todd... You are going to pour words into your wife. You look her in the eyes, dead set, and you just let go. 
Because that's what she does to you, Todd. She makes you let go. And you say to her, you mean everything to me. And I would let go of everything if it means that I just get to hold you for the rest of my life. And that's what you do. What are you doing? I'm calling my wife, and you are going to tell me some pretty words to say to her. We are not doing this. Hey, babe. No, 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 don't hang up. Don't hang up. Um, I was an idiot. And I know you said some things, too. You shouldn't have. You don't say that. I'm so, that's what I meant. I meant I have some things to say to you right now. No. While we're on the phone. Stop it. Just listen. She said I have two minutes. What do I say? What do I say? I'm sorry. For what? Don't you tell her that. I'm sorry. Babe? She's still there. I can hear her breathing. Tell her I love you and you mean everything to me and I am a fool because I don't tell you that more often. Um, I'm a fool for loving you and I should say that stuff more often. You are the only reason I am half the man I am. Your love and constant support is my daily breath. I'm half the man I am because of you. And your love is a constraint. Constant support. No, I'm sorry. Oh, no, your love is constantly on my breath. Daily. You are the greatest blessing God has ever given me. And you are perfect for me. Babe, you're the, you're the best thing God ever did for me. You're perfect. For me, you're perfect. You're, you're not perfect. Sunsets are more beautiful when you are on the horizon. Um, you're more beautiful at sunset on the horizon. It totally worked. Babe, I'm gone in 60 seconds. What a moron. You were great. I know, right? The words you said, I I heard. I had no idea. Seriously? You had no idea that some women fall for that stuff? (laughs) I'm just glad you're not that gullible. By the way, what's for dinner? I've messed up. Use your words, my friend. Use those words. (laughs) Some of us struggle more than others to use our words well, right? I'd also say some of us who, have, who use words maybe like I do for a living, uh, sometimes we can use words without being sincere. Uh, so that's why I love that, love that video. Uh, here's two things I'd say to be very practical with words. Two questions you want to ask. Should it be said? 
And this is, you say, this really? This is kind of this simple. It just your head. Should it be said? Second thing, you know what it is? Should it be said now? Sometimes, yeah, it needs to be said. Now's not the time. Now they're not going to hear me now, and you've got to kind of pay attention to those two things. Next thing I'd say is this. As you're working on your words, as you're really working on your marriage, you want to fight fair. Uh, the book that we've, um, we're offering for free, for, uh, one per family out there, Craig Rochelle, we've loosely based this series off of, uh, with permission, from him and his church, Life Church, out in Oklahoma City. Um, he has a great practical point. Probably, and to me, it's the most practical, helpful thing in this book that he offers. Uh, it's something Tanya and I have done in, in loosely in different forms, and it's when you're really working in your marriage and learning to fight fair, do it in the non-conflict times. Uh, sit down. And so Tanya and I have done this different ways. We've used to do um, things where uh, we do what we call a business meeting. We'd sit down and bring our stuff from the week, and we've kind of gotten away from that, and we've done different things over the time. But Craig Rochelle says, when you sit down together... Um, talk about two things. First one, just say, hey, what are the three ways that I'm a blessing to, to you? Let your spouse tell you, hey, this is what you do that I really love and it really helps me. And then ask, the second question is, what are the three biggest things that I could do to be a bigger blessing to you? So I love how he says, a positive way of saying, and instead of saying, hey, what do I need to change? It's what are things I could do to be a bigger blessing uh, to you? It's very practical. Now, as you think about words, uh, I meet with a team each week to help uh, kind of just talk through. So we lay these messages out that I meet with a team uh, during the week to just say, hey, here's what we're going to communicate on Sunday. Any ideas, suggestions, things that you hear me speak regularly, say, hey, stay away from. They said, hey, let's throw out a good practical top ten list of things when it comes to communicating. So, again, I want to do this, again, in a real heart to just be practical this morning. So let's give ten things. Now, again, you may fail at eight of these. That's probably not a good thing. Uh, but you may fail at eight. I'd suggest you just find one or maybe two in this list to really go after. The first one, no name calling. Okay, this is as you're thinking about communicating, how to communicate. First one, no name calling. Unless, unless it's your pet name, right? Some of you got those pet names like Tanya and I, it's Sweetie. I don't think we seldom even use it. Or, or every now and then it's Mommy and Daddy because that's just kind of picked up from the kids and it's kind of stuck. You know, maybe for you it's Pookie, Pookie, whatever, or Honey Bun, or whatever it might be. Whatever your pet name is, that's the only kind of names that should be flying around in any kind of communication between you and your spouse. Next one, avoid interrupting. When they're talking, you are not. It's just kind of that simple. Uh, And if they're talking and you're trying to talk, it usually doesn't go well. Uh, Next one, don't raise your voice as you communicate. Uh, Also, pay attention to your tone. When you raise your voice, generally, generally, it's not going to go well. There are times to raise your voice. You know, my kid's running out into the street, and i got to yell to stop them. Or, or you're, there's, there's times to raise a voice, but generally in the context of marriage, raising your voice means uh, you're going to tank the, co- the communication. Next one is stop uh, blaming. Uh, stop blaming. You say, what is blaming? Uh, blaming might be you might walk in, and you may just spurt out to your spouse, you are so irresponsible. Again, it's this kind of general broad statement. You're, you're linking it to character uh, versus, uh, you know what? I'm really kind of bothered, honey, that uh, we've now had two late payments on our credit card. Now, is it because they're irresponsible? Maybe. I don't know. But let's, again, avoid the blaming. Next one. Um, Use I statements instead of you statements in communication. So in other words, you might walk in and say, you know what, honey, you don't care about me. Um, Versus, hey, you know what? I'd love a date night. I'm just kind of, I'm feeling neglected lately. Do you think we could sit down and do a date night? Again, very different. Very, another one. You might say, um, you know what? You never help me with dinner. You're never, I'm always alone in the kitchen. Versus, 
I feel like I've been stuck in the kitchen all alone this week. Instead of pointing out at them, say, hey, this is, again, talk about your feelings. Uh, And then, again, if they're active listeners, they're going to feed back. Oh, I hear you saying, and you'll go with that. Next one, and I I chuckle this because we put never in front of it. Never use never and always. Seldom. Have you ever been with someone that says this? You always. Well, what happens when you say that? Almost, have have you ever done this? What does your spouse do? Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? Really? Last week, just last week. And they immediately start looking for that time that they didn't do it to discredit you. Not helpful. So just try and avoid the all-inclusive statements altogether, and you're, you're usually uh, will be okay in your communication. Next one, don't go historical. And the way I like to say it, because when you go historical, someone gets hysterical. Uh, when historical would be when you're dealing with so something your spouse does that's hurt you, and you're going to deal with what that hurt is, try your best to avoid all the other stuff that you'd like to deal with. Try and avoid the, the fights you've had the last 10 years or 20 years or one year, last week. Try and keep it uh, current would be the next thing. Next one, never, ever, ever threaten divorce. I had a really good friend when, I was, uh, when we were getting married, actually, who said to me, uh, his name was Chris. Chris comes along and says, Adam, here's one thing that Debbie and I learned. Never, ever use this word. Matter of fact, his challenge to me is take it out of your vocabulary altogether. Don't, think, don't even think it. Don't say it. Wipe it out altogether. And especially in the context of a fight, don't throw it out as a threat. Oh, yeah, well, I'll leave you. It's, it's generally, that's, it, when that's happening in the marriage, the marriage is usually in pretty big trouble. Um, next one, be specific, not general. This is one that I am currently working on and trying to work very hard on. I'm, I'm kind of a, a conceptual thinker, and so here's what this might look like. So maybe you come home from work and the garage is a mess, and you walk in because your spouse should be the one keeping it clean. So you just walk in and say, oh my goodness, honey, the garage is a mess. Now, what do you really want to have happen? You'd like them to clean the garage up, right? So why don't you tell them that? Don't, don't just hit this because they're, they're left to think, oh, they're just going, okay, they think it's a mess. That's cool. I think it's okay. And you move on with life and you got an issue between you. So maybe you step in and you may say something like, you know what? Come in today and the garage is a real mess. You know, could you um, tighten up those shelves in the garage by the end of next week, by next weekend? So again, you're very specific. You've given them something. Not, you've named not just your frustration. You've said, hey, you've given them something to do. Now they can say back to you, you know what? No, I can't do that. And then you get into a conversation. That, you know what? Maybe by the end of the month uh, I can do that because of some other time constraints I have. And again, it's a, it's a fight that's fighting fair versus throwing stuff around and it gets kind of ugly. here. Now, here's the next one. Right? I'll just let you read it. It's kind of funny. <laughs> right? <laughs> Never quote your pastor during a fight. Okay, I, I'm not there with you. I didn't get you into it. I really don't. Just leave me out of it, okay? Let's just do it that way. Now, we chuckle with that. It is funny. Here's the, here's the heart behind this. What a lot of times what we do in fighting is we want to bring the expert in. Because I want to, again, I'm trying to put my stamp of power and control into this. So I'm going to step up and say, yeah, well, it may not be the pastor. It may be the counselor. It might be the book I read. It might be the conference we had. But we try and one-up and over, kind of come over the top. It would be, so, so, here's the other reason, very, very practical reason. A lot of times what happens in the context, and especially in the church, is a spouse will come and talk to me. Hey, Adam, you know, here's what's going on at home. And it's usually grief and heartache and pain and, and all this stuff. And, and I'm glad they come, and we want them to come. However, the Proverbs teach us as pastors and counselors that you have only heard one side of the story. You've not sat with the second side. So I've learned, for, I've learned work very, very hard at saying, okay, hey, that sounds like a mess, and it sounds like he has some issues, or it sounds like she has some issues, and boy, I'd really love to sit down and let them have a piece of my mind. But no, I've got to work very hard to say, no, stay objective. 
But what ends up happening, so if you walk away from that scenario, you go home and now you use, you're using your pastor, Chris or I, guess what you've done, guess what you've lowered the chances now of that person ever sitting down with us as a, in the context of helpful, helpful counsel to move forward. So again, just try and generally leave, leave your counselor out of it. Leave your pastor out of it. Yeah, well, my counselor said, or my, you know, just that's, or my friend said, what? That's nice. Your friends are entitled to their opinions. I would just leave all that out of it. So that's, that's um, so listen, <coughs> excuse me, quick to listen, slow to speak. Now the third one. The third one is a fun one. Um, third one deals with anger. Handle your anger righteously. It's okay to get angry. Matter of fact, sometimes anger is the most loving thing you can do. If you come home from work and you find your spouse, unfortunately, in bed with someone else, okay, and if you just walk out of like, oh, well, you don't, there's not love in your heart. In that moment, you should be angry. Okay, anger is a very appropriate response. God, when he finds us um, committing adultery, is the language that we looked at it in James chapter 4. You read James chapter 4. He says, you adulterous people. And then there is some angry communication through the rest of James chapter 4. Anger is an appropriate response. However, what I've learned is probably, I, I don't know how, eight or nine times out of ten, it's not appropriate in the way we're using it. Okay, so now here's one of the verses I want to talk about very practically. <laughs> to be very practical. Ephesians chapter 4. And here's, again, and don't sin by letting your anger control you. So I love the way the New Living says this. Some of you are used to it in the NIV or the King James, and it says, and do not sin in your anger. Here it just, it kind of interprets it for you and says, and don't sin by letting your anger control you. So there they make an interpretive move. Um, And then it goes on to say, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. I remember when there was a, Tanya and I worked at a camp uh, when we were first married, and and uh, the camp director would be very, he used to say this a lot. You know, Christy and I, we never, ever, ever go to sleep until that thing's resolved. You know, Craig Rochelle, if you hear him uh, in this book even, he talks about he and Amy, his wife, went five days one time without sleeping because they're trying to honor this verse. Now, that's a fair interpretation, but here's my heart of this. I think that's the easy interpretation. But really look at what the text says. Really try and pay attention to this. What does the text really tell you to do? Don't let the sun go down while you are still what? Notice the text doesn't say, don't go to bed until it's resolved. It doesn't say that. The text never says that. So what I've learned to do, what Tanya learned is sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do. We've had a counselor tell us this. Hey, listen, don't talk late at night. You're tired. When you're hungry and tired, you're at your worst, hands down. So I don't get an amen on that, right? I mean, you know, you're married to them or they're married to you. you when you're hired, tired and hungry, the most spiritual thing you can do is not prayer, is not get into a long, heartful, heartfelt discussion with your spouse. It's get food and go to sleep. So you say, well, how do you honor this verse? Well, honoring this verse is actually very, is quite hard then at this point because I've got to live with my spouse in a very forgiving way. So I, what I'll do is we're tiny and I, what you can practice to do is just stop and say, okay, okay, let's come back to this at another time. We're going to go to bed. We're not going to be angry with one another. We're going to choose grace and mercy and forgiveness. You can still name. I'm still hurt, and we've still got some things we want to talk about. But we're going to come back and then set your time. We're going to come back tomorrow night after the kids are in bed. Or we're going to come back, you know, hey, I can go to work late. So after the kids get off to school, we can. So, again, set your time. Even go ahead and write stuff down. Do you know why it helps to write stuff down where you're at? Because if you're not, what do you tend to do? 
You're going to go to bed. I don't want to forget that. So you're laying in bed there, and you're still kind of, and you start rehearsing. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. He said that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you soon start, and you're back to back, right? One of you is kind of silent. You're back to back. You know, you know, the silent type, they lay there. I'm not going to give them the satisfaction that I'm even still alive. The other one's over there kind of huffing and puffing and yanking covers and sticking their, they're just kind of sticking their toe across the line. And, you know, the other one's like, no, 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 no toe tonight. You leave that back. And it's, it just gets kind of crazy. So again, write it down. This is where I'm at. I want to come back and deal with this. But you can go to bed then, not angry. Oh, we still have something we have to resolve, but it's life. We're going to live with, we're two sinners. We're going to wrestle through this, and we're committed to each other. So we're going to bed, looking at you in the eye, saying, I'm committed to you. I love you. I'm not angry. I'm hurt. <laughs> we'll come back to this uh, tomorrow and work through it. So again, notice the rest of the verse. For anger gives what? This is huge. What does anger do? This isn't just marriage. This is all of life. When you have a relationship where you allow anger to set in, it gets ugly. John Gottman, he's not a Christian. He's actually a Jewish man who studied marriages for 16 years. What he did for 16 years, he watched couples fight. Hey, honey, how was work today? You can imagine that conversation. Oh, yeah, I sat down and watched. You know, 16 years you're watching couples fight. And, he, and over the time, here's, here's his research. He's kind of turning. I'm going to show you in a minute. The, he named four areas that he observes couples fight, and within five minutes, within five minutes, he's been able to determine the success of that marriage within 91% accuracy. Within five minutes of watching a couple fight, 91% of the time, he's accurate, saying, yep, they're going to go to divorce court. No doubt about it. 91% of the time. So I think he's, he's kind of keyed in on something. So he picked up four things. He calls them the four horsemen, is kind of what they're, I'm sorry, before we jump there, look at <laughs> this is <clears throat> a cool, uh, when you're in bed back to back, you know what? <clears throat> what I've learned, you don't want to be there. I've never met a couple that's back to back and happy. They don't want it. They want to be face to face. Or next week, Pastor Chris will talk about being belly button to belly button. I mean, that's where you really want, right? You want to get yourself turned around. You want to be connection and close and knowing that we're, we're at a level here where we're connected with one another and we know one another. So I love this, this picture of this inner person. Some will call it inner child, whatever you want, whatever your theology and thinking is. But that, that inner says, say, no, let's hunger to come together. Now, Gottman, on his four horsemen, <clears throat> the first one is what he calls criticism. So criticism is where you attack a person's personality or their character. Where you're just going to, we're going to go low and we're going to come at your character. We're going to blame, um, we're going to blame and just kind of, we already talked about that. We're going to blame you and kind of go at it. Next one is contempt. Uh, so he defines contempt as where it's attack on, sen- on the sense of self. Where you make fun of, you belittle, you may look down, you may start calling names. Uh, you could even pick this up by seeing eyes rolling. Uh, but just general, this low grade, you know what? I don't have time for you. Um, you you've hurt me too deeply or I'm ticked at you. Uh, third one is uh, what he calls defensiveness. Uh, now, defensiveness is kind of you kind of shift into this. As soon as they start to talk to you, your spouse talks to you, Phew, it's not me. I don't have a problem here. Uh, you see yourself as a victim. And what you're really doing is you see yourself as a victim. So now that I'm a victim, I can point it back at you. See, uh-uh, it's not my problem. It's your problem. And then the fourth one, the fourth horseman is what would be called stonewalling. Or in our area of, of the land, it would be passive-aggressive would fit in here. Or um, you withdraw. You kind of have a blank look. You cease to care. You're going to avoid f- verbal fighting at all cost. 
uh, and you're just going to check out. Um, the way I've, this is one I've struggled with over the years, and my counselor would tell me that I sat with is that I'm like a turtle. I'll pull my, you know what the turtle does when he gets scared? What's the turtle do? The head comes in, right? You're not going to take my head off. So again, that's stonewalling. It's, it's a classic view of stonewalling. Now, guess which one, guess which one Gottman says, they're all bad, but when he sees it, he says the marriage is done. Which one do you think it is? Which horseman? Somebody, I see some fingers pointing up. Some of you know which one it is, right? Number two. When that second horseman shows up, coming back to Ephesians chapter 4, once contempt sets in, the marriage is in big trouble. At that point, it's, again, a lot of them go to failure. A lot of them go to divorce court. Now, they can turn around. There's hope, and we'll talk about the hope in a minute. Um, and there is hope. But, again, that's the one you really, all of them are, are a big deal. But that one, when it shows up, Gottman says, he, when, as soon as he sees it, marriage is done. He knows it's, it's in trouble. So with that said, um, what I want to do is I'm going to ask my wife, Tanya, uh, to come up. And okay, here's what I did. I simply put this message together, gave her some notes, and um, said, hey, look at him this week. And so she didn't tell her what to say, which one is. I just wanted the wife's perspective of the pastor uh, talking about this stuff. Um, so I wanted to ask her to share. And then last night she sat down. For the first time I got to hear last night what she was going to say. I preached through this. She listened to me. Um, which, have you ever done that? Preach and someone's in a room. That was kind of fun. So she listened and then she kind of shared, hey, this is what I really want to share. So, or awkward. Or awkward. That's another <laughs> way for it. Um, so anyway, so the floor is all yours. Thank you. Well, yeah, Adam had shared with me a week or two ago that I would have five minutes to share in the message this morning. And so I spent a lot of time asking myself, what would I share in five minutes? It's, it's relatively short and we've learned so much in 17 years and changed so, so much in that time. And I, I just kept thinking about it over and over and over this week. And this phrase kept coming back to me over and over and over. And it's really profound. Are you ready for this? Do you have your pen ready? Cause you're not going to be able to stop writing this down. The phrase that kept coming to me was you got to stay on the right side of the coin. I know that's really good, isn't it? Uh, so I'm going to tell you a little story to illustrate what I'm talking about. But basically the, the heart of it is In marriage, the things that we fight about are usually good, true things. There's usually a truth or a concept or a value that one of us holds that we're trying to get the other to be more in line with us on. And a lot of times that's a good thing. Each of us brings strengths to the table. They're different usually. And so if we can work together, we we become more together than we would be apart. And the, the problem is when we get that issue out in front of us, we tend to want to jump on the part that the other person should do rather than taking, part of the, taking care of the part that we are responsible for. So early, early, early in our marriage, when we were at this camp that he was talking about, that we worked at when we were first married, we lived in this little cabin all to ourselves. We had been married maybe four or five months, and the newly marriedness was really setting in. And we were getting ready for church, and dear sweet guy who irons his clothes at camp <laughs> for chapel is ironing. And I had the inspiration from the Holy Spirit to try to solve a problem with my husband at this moment. And he just wanted to iron. And the more I talked, the more intent he was on his ironing. And I did not feel led of the Holy Spirit to let him just keep ironing. Because surely this is important and we should take care of this. So I I remembered back in my Bible school years about how, you know, when something causes you to sin, you should cut it out. And so I thought, well, I'll just intervene for Brother Adam because clearly this nice hot iron 
is causing him to stumble. He is more interested in this ironing than in his wife and the important thing that she wants to share right now, five minutes before we leave. And so I took that blessed brand new Rowenta iron top model wedding gift, hot, and I yanked that thing out of the wall and I threw it across the cabin and it burnt my welcome mat and ruined it. I wasn't dealing with my side of the coin. What I didn't know back then that I now know is that Tanya likes to take care of problems right now. When they come up, let's talk about it. It's not always a good idea for Adam. He doesn't enjoy that. So I have control over my timing. That's my side of the coin. Should he stonewall me? No. That's his side of the coin, though. I haven't taken care of my side yet. So what I've learned in all these years is Tanya needs to work on her timing. Tanya needs to work on her tone. And Tanya needs to work on the words that she chooses. With that being said, I also have a backstory to manage and to heal and to bring under the submission of the Holy Spirit. So I had a lot of history playing in in that moment in the cabin. Growing up in an abusive home, pretty verbal person. I was never able to speak to anything. I was always told and abused and enforced. And believe it or not, I didn't have a temper growing up. I saved it for marriage. <laughs> um, but I, it, I did not know how to work through that. So I had a lot of stuff on my side of the coin to deal with. Does the whole issue involve his side of the coin? Of course. But I had to work on my side of the coin first. So in that moment when I'm yanking the iron out of the wall and throwing it, what am I doing? I'm saying, well, pff, Brother Adam needs to work on his stonewalling rather than Sister Tanya getting some stuff figured out for herself. So... That was my advice. Take care of your side of the coin. Awesome. You know what? I bet no one heard anything after they heard he irons. <laughs> like, I think wow. me throwing an iron was pretty juicy. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sweetie. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, so I, here's what I want to wrap up. I really appreciate her sharing. I want to kind of pull this thing in and, and close with um, thinking of Ephesians 4 about giving the devil a foothold, allowing that anger to set in. Um, Craig Rochelle says it this way to borrow a direct, a direct quote from him. Um, it says, you only have one enemy and it's not your spouse. Get focused on that. You know, what I've learned about marriage is right away in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see the importance of marriage. It says, God created man and woman in his image. He created them. And he says, I want you to go and be fruitful and increase the number. God's original plan to advance his kingdom, if you will, to use that language, to advance his plans on earth, to to help the earth see and understand who he is. His first original plan was a man and a woman coming together in the context of marriage and having children. Now, we see this again in Malachi when, when the famous statement, God hates divorce, which if you're around church at all, you may cling to that statement. You look at the whole context of Malachi, and what he really says is, guys, what pains my heart is you've neglected the wife of your youth. I want you to go home to her. I want you to embrace her, and I want you to have children, and pay attention to what the text says, to advance my glory, my, my, the picture of who I am. Marriage is hugely important. So Satan's not a fool. He says, well, I take this thing out. We got it. I'm going to wipe God out. So he comes at this thing. I think sometimes we start to look across the table, look across the bed. We look out at that thing. We think our spouse is the enemy, and our spouse is not the enemy. So what I would suggest is you, is you wrestle with you say, well, we've got some real issues. You may have some real issues. I get that. And you may need some outside help and support and some intervention. I understand that. But learn to fight together. Learn to say, okay, he has a porn problem. She has a porn problem. He has a drinking problem. She has a drinking problem. You know what? There's an anger problem there. You know what? There's whatever the issue may be, learn to pull it out and fight it together as a team. 
I've seen this over and over. What happens if you come home from the doctors this week and say, hey, honey, I got cancer. The doctor told me I've got cancer. What are you going to do? Are you going to sit there and think, hmm, how did you get that cancer? You know what? I bet it's because of all those cigarettes you smoked. Or I bet it's because of all those years you did all that without a respirator. I bet it's because of the food you ate. Oh, you know what? Yeah, that lousy family I married into and all the genetics. You're not going to go down that. I mean, you think, well, that's ridiculous. Why would you even think that? What are you going to do when you find out your spouse has cancer? You're going to link arms and you're going to fight that thing. You're going to look at it on the outside of you. You're going to become a team and you're going to say, we can do this because we want that life together. Do the same thing in the context of the spiritual battles that you're fighting in your home. Say, you know what? We're going to be a team and we're going to fight this depression. We're going to fight this drinking. We're going to fight your anger. We're going to work through this as a team. Because our enemy is not in this room. He's out there. 1 Peter chapter 5 says Satan is working around looking for someone. He's like a lion looking for someone to eat. And who does the lion eat? The weakest, correct? You ever see that? You know, you watch those, those African, you know, those documentaries and you see the gazelles run along and they find that one that's off by themselves and they go and devour it. That's Satan. So you know what? We're going to be strong. We're going to be a team. Now, so I'd say this. If some of you look through and you see the four, maybe you see contempt present, and you look down that list of top ten, you think, oh, my goodness, Adam, I've got all ten of them in my marriage. Or, Here's the deal. Come back to what we talked about last week. Seek your God, your creator. Seek him with all of your heart. Run after him. Seek him with your spouse. Some of you may say, well, no, no, no. I can't do that, Adam. You don't know my marriage. Uh-uh. <laughs> I can't be a team with them. Well, you know what you can do? Come back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love when Tanya talked about him. She didn't, this set up so beautifully. We didn't even try to make this work. Uh, but it works so beautifully. She talks about deal with your side of the coin. You know what the gospel message teaches us when you really look at the message of Jesus Christ? The message of Jesus Christ says to you, you are first a sinner and only secondarily are you sinned against. The problem, when Jesus steps forward, he says, God says, I want a holy, righteous, blameless person. If you're not holy, righteous, and blameless, you're not entering my heaven. You're not going to be in a relationship with me. So what is the problem? We may say, well, the problem is my mom. The problem is my dad. The home I grew up in. The problem is my, all that may be very painful and very true. The problem is my boss. The problem is my mom. The problem, you go on down the list. Well, you know what the problem is? The problem, you don't have a relationship with your creator. You're a sinner. God doesn't say, ah, I'll give you a pass because out there. He says, no, look inward. It's the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Learn to apply it to your marriage. I'm first a sinner. So how does God fix that problem? He sends Jesus to this earth. He dies. He lives a perfect life. He dies a horrible death to pay a penalty. He said, listen, I'm going to let you off the hook. How do you get off the hook? Well, you simply confess is the word the scriptures use. What does confess mean? Confess means I just agree with. So I'm going to look to God and say, I agree that I'm a sinner, God. I repent. What does repent mean? It's, it's, it's this big religious word. All it means is I'm going to turn from what I thought was giving me life to who's truly going to give me life. I'm going to turn to my God. I'm going to turn. So I'm going to confess. I'm going to repent. I'm going to put my trust and my faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And he forgives me. I've been forgiven so much. And the scriptures teach when we grasp that message, we, those who have been forgiven much, in turn, love much. The gospel message is a solution to any and every marriage struggle, even if you're in it alone and you're walking alone. And it's hard and it's painful. 
Jesus Christ. James chapter 1, I want to wrap with this. Look at this. James chapter 1, where we were. Look at verse 21 again. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. Verse 22, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Don't just listen. Got to do something with it. Got to do it. Humbly accept that word planted in my heart that God, by the Holy Spirit, has brought to life inside of me. What a gift. I get to step out and do it. Uh, and with Ruth Bell Graham, the, the wife of Billy Graham. Uh, she passed away maybe nine, ten years ago now. Um, very influential. And you, you, their marriage, their marriage, you look at Billy Graham and the influence he's had. They had some fun moments in their marriage. They had some interesting battles. And Ruth, it, it kind of, as she reflects back on their marriage, she's learned to say this. A happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. Forgiven much, love much. I'm first a sinner, only secondarily sinned against. Learn to fight fair from that vantage point on your side of the coin. Let me pray for you. God, uh, we love you. Um, God, I look out at this room right now, and I, I know, see, in this room, there are, marriage, there are marriages that are struggling and hurting. Uh, maybe marriages that were fighting on the way this morning to church or last night or this week or maybe all week or maybe, um, God, there's hurt. Marriage is hard. It's so rewarding when it's done well, but it's hard. Two sinners living together. Um, So God, I pray just for hope and life. Help us to do, as James says, to to not miss the simplicity of the message, um, but step into those profound, simple words and live them out through the power that you've given us, the Holy Spirit, with trust in our heart and, and believing you and trusting you. God, I pray for those uh, maybe sitting here that, that, feel like they've had their shot and lost it. Maybe they're divorced. Uh, maybe they're, um, I don't know what's happened. A lot of stuff can happen in life. And now they're sitting with so much pain and hurt and regret. God, would they know your grace and mercy and forgiveness? Would they know the beauty of Jesus Christ and, and um, him reaching down to rescue before he corrects? God, would they sense that and feel that and feel those fresh winds blowing? God, for the marriages here that are doing well, God, thank you for them. Thank you and help them to continue to be committed to not drifting, but always being active and taking the steps um, to move towards one another. God, we love you. Thank you for the gift that marriage is. Um, thank, you for, um, thank you for life. Thank you for Jesus. And God, I just, with, with joy in my heart, um, I just ask just ask that those in this room that are believers in Jesus Christ, we would be able to worship, just sing to you now from a position of, man, God, you've forgiven me so much. And God, for those that aren't, God, thanks for their willingness to be here, the skepticism and their pushing in and wrestling. God, would they sense you in joy and gladness, reaching out to them and calling them home? And God, maybe if they're not a Christian, maybe for the first time, they just simply stop and say, I confess I'm a sinner. I'm turning to my Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm putting my faith and trust in him. God, wouldn't we celebrate to have that uh, new life started this morning? God, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.